Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. We pray that you would open our hearts to receive from your word. In your name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call here at the church, and uh, uh, Sarah was phoning me, and the school was phoning me at the same time, um, because something had happened with Rowan, our oldest. He had fainted in the middle of class, and uh, they wanted someone to come and make sure he was okay, or else they were going to kind of phone the ambulance and, and you know, kind of start that whole process. And Sarah couldn't go because she had kids. And so I, I went over there and uh, checked him out. And he was already feeling better. And we ended up going up to Emerge. And, and uh, he had some stuff going on. But in the end, he was fine. But I can tell you, Mom, Mom sure wanted to be there and had to send me instead. And uh, I, I had several text messages about, how is he? And I was you know, busy with him and didn't have a chance to really get back right away. Um, but there was an urgency to make sure the kid was okay, and he was, thankfully. But there's some similar sense of urgency, I think, in Paul's passage this morning. He longs to be with these Thessalonians. He longs to be with these people, and he can't get to them just yet. And I, I can well imagine Sarah, and even myself, driving over, uh, just wanting to make sure he's okay, wanting them to be well. So what Paul does is he sends Tim to go take a look and make sure they're doing okay, to go check in on them. And as I was thinking about that, I was, I was reminded that in all of our lives, we have people we care about. We all have different ones we care about, in our own families or in our church family. And we want those that we care about to, to be well, to be okay. And so does God. God cares about you, and he cares about you and the issues in your life, and he wants you to be well, wants you to be okay. And he cares for you individually, but he also cares for his bride, the church, both, both globally in the sense of the large church and all that goes on all around the world, but also locally in the local church. He cares for us to be well because he loves us. And as I was preparing this week, I felt I could really relate to this concern that God has for his church, but also that Paul has for the church, for the Thessalonians, and that longing for them to be well, for someone that you care for to be well. There's a passage in Hebrews that talks about uh, the church and their relationship to leaders. And it alludes to the fact that in leadership, in Christian leadership, there's times where it's a joy to lead, and then there's times where it's not a joy to lead. And it says, actually, in, uh, in the ESV, that it can be groaning. That for Christian leaders, it can be a joy or it can be groaning. And, and in the King James, it talks about it actually as grieving. That it not be a grief to you as leaders. And we felt that, too. There's times in Christian leadership where pastoral ministry is a real joy. And there's times where, uh, you know, I can think of, of people coming to Christ. I can think of baptisms that we've had and various celebrations. I can think of particularly when we had Noah, um, who will be five in April. Isn't that crazy to think? Um, and when we first got his diagnosis of his Down syndrome, and we, we really didn't know how well or not he really was. And the church 
you as the church just said, take the time to go and, and be in Winnipeg and do the tests and make sure he's okay. And we felt so blessed uh, to be given that freedom to just go and care for our son uh, over a, a season that was really lots of questions and uncertainty. And of course, in the end, he turned out to be uh, quite fine. Uh, but there was just a, a, a loving generosity from the church. There was a moment where it was a joy, and we were very appreciated. But like Hebrew says, there's also seasons where it's a groaning or a grieving. And there's been those moments too. And, you know, you worry when someone is not well. You worry as a pastor if the church is not well. And often, I think over the last decade now of pastoring, um, you, you, there is this sense of, of and worry is not the best word, but probably care. Uh, and you're, you're aware of those who maybe stop coming to church or there's something going on in their lives or they're, you know, they're sidetracked by false teaching. And like a parent longing for a child who's hurt or like a pastor who wants the congregation to thrive and to love one another, we see that same heart here in Paul longing to be with them to ensure they're okay. And that's God's heart as well, longing to ensure his people are all right. And, of course, making the way for that to be possible. And I get it. It sure hit home to me this week. When you look at the passage, and we started in chapter 2, verse 17, over to 3, uh, and into verse 5, before we get the actual report from Timothy, there's a real sort of desperation in Paul's tone. A real sense that, yes, we've sent Timothy, but he really longs to be with them. And I want to draw your attention uh, to a couple of verses the first one is, uh, oh, I can't see it now. Where am I? In verse 17, he says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person but not in heart, meaning that he can't be with them, but deep down he longs to be with them, right? We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. What is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. There's a sense throughout the passage that uh, he's, he's praying and asking for God to make a way for them to get back to the Thessalonians. And he even mentions the suffering that he knows they'll endure and how he hopes that the suffering that they experience doesn't kind of pull them off track from following Jesus. There's a portion where he's praying, he's asking God to direct our way to you. This is at the end of the passage in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. He's praying that God will not just guide them. The, the word there for direct is like actively removing the obstacles. And so there's this prayer happening where Paul's saying, we're asking God to actively remove the obstacles that are getting in the way of us coming back to you. And as I was thinking about that, uh, what stood out to me was this sense of, of Jesus, what are the obstacles in our own church family? Lord, what are the obstacles that get in the way of us connecting with you and following you, of loving each other? What are the obstacles or the the things that we give into that, that hold us back from sort of wholeheartedly following you. And this sense of, 
of asking God to remove those obstacles in our lives so that love can flow. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm halfway through uh, a first course that I'm taking for my doctoral studies, and it's called uh, Spiritual Practices for Christian Leadership, and it's been so good. It's just really, really good and life-giving. But one of the assignments that I've had to reflect on is to identify what's a key leadership issue in your church and, and what's, what are the issues underneath that? Like, can you suss out why that issue is an issue, right? And, and how do you plan to move forward uh, creatively and, and thoughtfully and biblically to help resolve those issues? And it's a, it's a hard assignment. And I've touched base with a number of people to help me kind of reflect on it. But as I was working through that, and the paper's due in a couple weeks, um, but I was, I was working on it yesterday. Rowan goes, did you write all of that? <laughs> it's just words, eh? I'm like, yeah, sure did. But as I was working through it, I just this prayer kept coming up. God, would you help us to see the obstacles, even in our church family, right? Would you help us to open our hearts and remove those boulders and clear the way so we can live together and to follow your spirit and to follow you, Jesus. And so this sense that Paul longs to be with them and for them to be well, it, it really resonates with me. And I was thinking that whenever, whenever God would call us, me and my family, elsewhere, my prayer is that we would be able to look back on our time in Dryden and our leadership time here, and that despite, you know, my many faults and failings uh, along the way, that we would say God was faithful to lead and to guide us. And there's a prayer at the end of this passage where he says, he prays that they would abound in love and, and increase in holiness or be blameless in holiness. And I was thinking, man, that's my prayer for you as your pastor, that, that regardless of my own failings along the way, that we'd be able to look back and say, Dryenful Gospel Church grew in love and was established in holiness, grew in holiness over those years. And that's a pastoral longing that also reflects God's heart, right? That's God's heart, that every one of us would enter into relationship with himself and enter into his love, that we would repent and believe and turn to him and that then our lives and our character would be transformed by him because only he can make us more loving and only he can make us holy and so there's a sense of sort of submission of, of humility of letting him come and uh, set things right in our hearts transforming us uh, especially when we've been in, in journeying as a church over the long haul and there's always issues that come up along the way because it turns out the church is full of people and people have issues, right? And so there's just brokenness that happens along the way. And instead of just letting that carry on for the sake of carrying on, Jesus, would you remove the obstacles and come with your healing presence to set things well and right in our hearts as we seek to follow you? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is the head of the church. And it's our job as 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 your lead pastor and then as our board and our elders, our desire is to put Jesus first, right? That he sets the vision and we prayerfully discern that and follow him and seek to be faithful to him. And so that's Jesus' heart for us, both for the Thessalonian church many, many years ago, but also to the church in Dryden, that we would love one another and that we would seek to have those obstacles removed in our hearts. There's a longing. And that's the first thing I want to say, and probably the longest point I'll make, is that longing in Paul's heart for the church, a longing uh, 
that I also share, that I have for you, that you would be well. And the second thing, much more quickly now, is a concern in the passage that has to do with Paul's labor. And notice what he says in verse 5 of chapter 3. He says, For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, this is when he sends Tim, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul's worried that something may have gone wrong. And he's not wrong to think that things could go wrong. Right? There's all sorts of reasons that people have to start a life with Jesus and then to turn away from him. There's nothing new about that. To begin a life of faith and to, to start out well and then for things to go poorly. And Paul knows that you can be tempted to turn away. You can be tempted to stop following Jesus. You can be tempted to step out of community. That there's someone who is trying actively to rip this community apart. This fledgling community of the Thessalonians. There's someone whose intent is to destroy God's work and undo what people like Paul and many others seek to do. That there's a, an actual tempter that wants to do that. And so let's not be naive that there's someone who seeks to actively destroy the good work of God. Not just in the Thessalonians' time, but also in our time. And let's not be so apathetic as to think that we're not in some sort of battle where there is one who would seek to pull us away from following Jesus. That there is one who would seek to pull us away from love for one another. And that in the moments where we choose not to pursue love with one another, we are giving in to that temptation. Paul knows that that tempter and our own pride can pull us away from the church. And of course, sometimes we get hurt by someone in the church. I mean, I've been hurt by people in church many times. And that temptation is to, of course, step out of relationship and, and then not deal with the issues. But even a cursory look through the New Testament will tell you pretty quickly that a lot of the letters to the churches are letters written to churches that have issues and leaders calling the church to deal with the issues. Not to let them just sit but to press on in love and to look to Jesus to overcome what's there. Paul's also afraid that there's a sense that they'll be pulled apart by false teaching, and uh, that hasn't changed either. There's lots of that in our world. And so like Paul, as much as there's a longing for the church to be well, I also really resonate with this sense of of praying that you will not fall into temptation, that you wouldn't fall into this desire that says, I don't really need Jesus, or I can deal with Jesus, but I don't really need church. But God's heart for you is to be in community. That's how he's designed it. And I can relate with Paul's sense here where he says, I pray that our labor would not be in vain. So Paul has a longing Paul's reflecting on his labor, and then, and we've mentioned it already, Paul has this prayer that, that the church would just grow in love. 
And I'm looking specifically at chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Look at verse 12. He says, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. It's like Paul's heart is that is that they be united as believers and not not only would they have a love for each other in the church but that it would overflow in such a way that it kind of spills out to people outside of the church that it goes to everyone else gets invited into this sort of expressive love that the people of god have and the only way we can grow in love the only way we can say well we're going to increase in love of course is to abide in the one who is love We see that sense, like the sense of self-giving love that God calls us to is actually found in God himself. I found this neat quote by a guy named Baxter Kruger. And he's reflecting on the doctrine of the Trinity. And he says this, The Trinity means that relationship, that fellowship, that togetherness and sharing, that self-giving and other-centeredness. These aren't afterthoughts to God. They are the deepest truth about the being of God. The Father's not consumed with himself. He loves the Son and the Spirit. The Son is not riddled with narcissism. He loves his Father and the Spirit. And the Spirit is not preoccupied with himself and his own glory. The Spirit loves the Father and the Son. Giving, not taking. Other-centeredness, not self-centeredness. Sharing, not hoarding are what fire the rockets of God and lie at the very center of God's existence as Father, Son, and Spirit. That idea of loving community is present within God himself. And that sense of the love in the church overflowing to people who don't know Jesus is also what God has done in himself. And that the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit has overflowed in such a way that God says, I want to share that love with others. See, God doesn't make us because of some inner need in himself for community. He already is community in himself. But the love of God is so full that it expands and overflows, and God creates us to share in that love, that self-giving love that is present within himself. And so the love that we're called to as a church is actually found deeply in understanding who God is and who he's revealed himself to be. So, for instance, today we're going to have soup and buns, right? And that's an intentional practice. We're doing it on purpose because when we share food, what happens? We share life together. We get to know each other. It's part of hospitality. And when we talk about sharing meals, when we talk about hospitality and extending grace and love to each other, we find love growing. There's an invitation at the table to receive, to give, to enter into the love and the life of the one who invites you to that table. And so Paul says, may you abound in love, Thessalonians. And I want to say today, may we abound in love, Tridentful Gospel Church. So what are the implications of that for us? as we wrap this up and we head to this table this morning. Well, the first thing I think is to hear the heart of God again, that he loves you, that he wants to call you to repent and to believe and to enter into life with him, to put away your sins, 
to be saved, to know his love and his grace. And we can feel that the love of God is, is far from us or that it's difficult to do. And thankfully, our learning to love each other and our learning to grow in holiness is not based on our own efforts. It does require our participation, but there's no sense in which we do this separated from God. On our own, our purposes are weak and broken and kind of a mess. But it's Jesus that makes us blameless. When we look at this passage, when it says, that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. It's God that makes you increase and abound in love. Not you drumming it up. Well, it's you willing to participate in what God wants to do in you. But it's not the result of your works. God increases the love. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a sense of... Jesus is returning. Let's be faithful and fruitful in living for him in the time that we have. Learning to love, putting aside our differences and our sins, and walking in holiness. That's Paul's heart. And man, that resonates for me this week as well. Letting God change my heart to become more and more like Jesus. And that ends the first half of the letter, that prayer marks the, the halfway point. And Paul prays that he'll get to his friends soon. And he prays, may you grow in love and holiness as we look forward to Jesus coming, that, that my labor would not be in vain because there is a tempter and there is brokenness and suffering and there's all the issues that come with church. But he says, I pray that you would grow in love, that you'd be marked by that. And that's my prayer for us as well that each and every one of us would abound and increase in love and be established in holiness. And that happens only as we submit ourselves to Jesus and seek to follow him. So let's pray to that end, and as we come to the table, we're going to walk through a short communion service that will incorporate a time of, of confessing our sins and of hearing again God's grace over us. And as we walk through uh, those prayers and through those scriptures, I invite you to open your hearts to what God would want to do in you today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this morning, and we thank you that uh, in Paul's letter we see a real human longing and love for this community. Lord, your heart is reflected in his pastoral care for these people, and Jesus, that heart is reflected here this morning. We all know the ways in which we need to grow in love and grow in holiness. And Lord, this morning as we come to the table, we pray that you would uh, yeah, shape us, Lord. That you would, by your spirit, convict us and point us to the areas in our hearts where we need to give uh, something over to you again. Lord, we pray that as we uh, come to this table, it would be a, a reminder of your welcome and your grace to us, that you've invited us over for supper, and that you love us. You invite us into your life and into your presence, that your love, the love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, spills over into a love for us. And in the same way, we are invited uh, to share in that love 
that it would spill over to those who don't yet know you. Lord, we thank you that you uh, don't give up on us and that your work and your love is greater uh, than any tempter and any evil in our world. We thank you that in you is life and salvation. Amen.